Well, we started a couple of weeks ago this series in uh, 2 Corinthians, and then we took uh, a week off, and uh, Walt got to share last week, which I so appreciated everything about that, not only the message, but also um, kind of kicking off our small groups for the year. I will just quickly plug that if you are not a part of a small group, I believe it is well worth your time to connect in that setting. That I know we all have busy lives, completely get it, but it's, it's worth making time for a group like that. You will find in that uh, setting something that you cannot get here on Sunday mornings. Um, and so uh, please get involved with that. All right, back to our study. So we are in uh, 2 Corinthians. We're going to start in chapter 1, verse 12 today. Last week, we, we covered the first, or two weeks ago, we covered the first uh, 11 verses. I told you that, you know, I kind of have this, you know, Old West theme going on here. Uh, and really, that's just because I have to come up with some sort of theme for every uh, study. But when I was preparing for 2 Corinthians, the picture that kind of kept coming into my mind was the idea of like gold panning, right? That 2 Corinthians has amazing nuggets of truth in it. And, and these gold nuggets are very precious and valuable. And we'll see some of those today. But you kind of have to sift a little bit through the, the personal nature of the letter because uh, it's very personal. Paul's going to spend quite a bit of time kind of defending his apostleship, which is a very personal thing between him and the Corinthians, to get at these nuggets. And so if you notice that, I'm, that I might go quickly through a few verses and then slow down through a few verses and then quickly go through a few more verses, um, that's intentional. I don't want us to miss these nuggets of truth that, that can truly transform us, I believe, and, and transform how we think about ourselves if we can get to those, those truths. Uh, two weeks ago, we talked about this God we have who comforts us, right? Uh, we sang about that a little bit this morning, that we have a God who doesn't uh, save us from suffering in this world. We do have suffering. We will have suffering. Uh, we will have trouble. But he uh, is right there with us. He shows up in the midst of our suffering. And part of the reason he does that, other than the fact that that's part of his character to do that, is so that we can show up in, to, in the suffering of others, right? We can be those who comfort others and walk the path with others when they're going through something difficult. And that it also, suffering itself pushes us further and further into his arms, into a, a dependent relationship upon, uh, upon him, depending upon him, trusting him more and more with our lives, which I think us in this room, we want to trust him more with our lives. So why wouldn't we want God to work in ways that cause us to trust him more, right? And so while suffering and difficulty is not uh, pleasant and nobody likes it, there is uh, a lot to be redeemed out of those moments of suffering. Today we're going to talk about God's uh, wisdom and his, his discipline uh, of us. So let me pray uh, for, for us and we'll get into it. Lord, thank you for uh, the preparation this week, just getting ready for this morning. Thank you for this passage of scripture, which is just packed full of a, of a few just really deep truths. We know that you are the teacher, that you are the one who is going to lead us into all truth. And so we just want to depend on you this morning to do that. But whatever you want us to walk away with, we want to walk away with that thing. So um, help us get to a place where we're open to receiving your truth, um, that we're not hardened to it or pushing back at it, but 
we're ready this morning to um, the seeds of your truth to, to be planted deeply in our hearts so that your harvest of righteousness can come from that. pray this all in your name. Amen. All right. So, starting in verse 12, it says this, For our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in holiness and godly sincerity, he's going to finish that here in a second, but he starts with this idea of confidence, of proud confidence, which he's going to refer to this same word a few different times. It's going to be translated a little bit differently in English, but he's going to refer to it a few different times. Sometimes it's, uh, it's this idea of boasting uh, comes up in some translations, which I think is misleading in some ways because it's, it sounds like we're bragging or something like that. When we think of boasting, that's what, usually what we think of. But really this word it just has this sense of um, where does my confidence come from? When I wake up in the morning, what gets me through the day? What am I hanging my hat on? And for a lot of people, it's, you know, their ability to accomplish some sort of work in their life, or maybe it's that they're a, a, a good mom to their kids or whatever. It's, it's, it's the thing we kind of go, yeah, the reason why I can face the day is because I have this confidence. But Paul is saying here, the thing that he hangs his hat on, the source of his confidence in his relationship with the Corinthians is that he was passing on the wisdom of God, the wisdom God had given him, um, not his own wisdom. That in holiness and godly sincerity, he was passing on wisdom. That, that's not fleshly wisdom. That's not human wisdom, but it's God's wisdom. And he says, it's the testimony of our conscience. Conscience, we've talked about this idea before, is this just our sense of right and wrong, which can be uh, manipulated and twisted uh, in our world or, or can be accurate, you know, based on God's truth, right? And he's saying, in my conscience, in my sense of what is right and wrong, I am confident that we did right by you, that we acted in, in holiness, that we lived up to our calling as saints. Remember last week we, we saw that Paul speaks to us as, uh, calls us saints, holy ones, right? He's like, we lived up to that holy calling of being a saint with you. We are sincerely doing what God called us to do. Now, the reason why he's, he's starting to go this direction is that there were some Probably within the Corinthian church, we're not certain, but probably within the Corinthian church or maybe outside the Corinthian church and passing by and kind of starting rumors and things, there were people who were working against Paul. And, and not, not just against Paul, but also Paul's message of faith by, through grace, that they were, they were trying to tear down Paul in order to tear down Paul's message. And so he's starting out here saying, you know what, guys, here's the deal. I want you to know, I want you to be certain that we know we have done no wrong by you, that we've done the right thing, that there are some out there that are not speaking the truth with sincerity. There are those who are doing, uh, who are trying to speak the truth out of wrong motives. In fact, later on in Corinthians, he'll get to this statement where he says, for we are not like many peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. There were some who were peddling God's word. They, they, they were peddling the truth. If you can imagine at this time within the church, 
The Bible wasn't this complete book that they just had, you know, you'd walk into the church like today, there's probably, you know, 30 Bibles sitting here in this church, right? That wasn't the case in the first century. And in fact, the writings that are in the New Testament weren't all collected at this point, right? So this is an early part of the church in which the truth of Christ, the reality of what we're supposed to be as Christians and and the teaching of the apostles regarding that was not readily available to everyone. And so there were people that were going around trying to make money off of this situation in which they could go, you know what, I know these Christians are hungry for the truth. And they might have been Christians themselves, honestly, or at least they presented themselves as Christians. And they were going, we know these Christians are hungry for the truth, and so I'm going to take advantage of that. I need some coin in my pocket. And so I'm going to be, a, be someone who's bringing the truth. I know like, you know, the apostles, like Paul's going around and like he's bringing truth to people. And I think we can make some money off of that if we do the same kind of thing. And Paul's like, no, 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 That's, That wasn't our ministry. We did things the right way. We know you're hungry for truth, but we only shared with you the truth. See, these, those that were peddling God's word were also sharing kind of their cool ideas on things, their fleshly wisdom. And, and fleshly just means human, very human. Like, like when we say, uh, man, I really messed up. I'm only human, right? That's flesh. I'm weak. I'm fallible. And he's like, they were sharing with you fallible wisdom. That might sound pretty good. There's a lot of that stuff out there in our world today. It sounds pretty good. Wisdom is this, is this thing that's actually spoken a lot in the Old Testament about it's, it's how to live life the best way possible. Now, as followers of God, the wisdom we should be seeking is God's wisdom, right? The one who's outside of time, who's, who's, who's got the broadest perspective possible. He has all knowledge, all love for us. And he's like, Here, here's the way to live your life well. That's the wisdom that we should be seeking. But these guys were also sharing their own thoughts on life. You know, their own, like, like motivational speakers. Like, hey, if you do this, your life's going to be better. If you do this, your life's going to be better. You know, 10 habits of the highly successful person, right? Like that sort of stuff. It sounds pretty good. They're packing seminars, right? These guys were probably very good speakers uh, because in Corinth, it was, it was an attractive location for people who could speak really well, who, who were great orators. And, and so people would be drawn in by these great speakers who could just, man, they could really get you into what they're talking about. But he's like, that's not what we relied upon. We relied upon God's wisdom and God's wisdom alone. And we can be confident in our relationship with you because we only spoke God's wisdom to you. The problem with human wisdom is even when it sounds really good, even when it sounds, you know, like, man, that's a really amazing thought you've got there, human wisdom person sharer, right? The problem with that is it's only human, right? It's limited. And so it's going to have limited fruit in our lives. We only as humans have a limited ability to perceive truth, have a limited ability to process what we see in the world, have a limited experience of reality, right? Like I'm 45 years old. I've only got 45 years old worth of experience. And I've only got the experience that I could have had in the places that I lived. 
and the websites that I've looked at and the books that I've read and the podcasts that I've looked at, like, like it's limited, right? It's very limited. And I might think I'm pretty smart because I've read certain things and I've studied certain things or whatever. But in the end, it's like a drop in the ocean compared to the immensity of God's wisdom. And Paul said, I'm simply offering you God's wisdom. That's all I want you to know. And my conscience is clear in regards to that. He goes on, he says, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially toward you. Not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially toward you. This wisdom that was graciously given to Paul, he was graciously sharing with them. He goes on to verse 13. For we write nothing else to you than what you read and understand. He's saying, when I write to you, that is the only thing I've ever written to you, is God's wisdom. In, in 1 Thessalonians, he speaks to this. He, he, he's praising the Th- Thessalonians. He says, for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of mere men, but as what it really is, the word of God which also is at work in you who believe. He's like, you Thessalonians got this right, that when we write to you, when I write to you, it's not the ideas of mere man, it is the truth of God. And this is what we have in the New Testament. This is why we hold to the truths in the New Testament and the Old Testament, but, but in particular these letters from these apostles, that we hold to them because they're speaking the truth of God. And we can take them as the truth of God. And I will just say there are plenty of people in our world, plenty of Christians in our world who are, who are honest believers, and there are also those who are Christians in name only who put their Christian tag on, and they also write books and do seminars, and they are taking us away from the truth of God, and we've got to anchor ourselves in it alone. The wisdom of God is the place to find what we need. That other stuff looks attractive, but we need to stay away from that. He goes on, and I hope you will understand until the end. I hope you will continue this process of just looking at God's truth until the end. Just as you also partially did understand us, that we are your reason to be proud as you are also ours on the day of our Lord Jesus. These guys recognize, the Corinthian people recognized, at least some of them, most of them, that Paul brought God's truth. They were, they were saved by it. Paul, Paul established this church in Corinth. Their lives were changed by the truth that Paul brought to them. And now you have these other people coming in who are going, I don't know. You know, some of the things Paul says are probably pretty good, but you know what? There's other stuff that I think, yeah, are a little bit off. And he said, I hope you'll you'll hold to these truths to the end. That, that, That you will be a reason for us to be proud because we will look at you and we will know that you've been transformed by the truth and you've held to the truth. If you've read 1 Corinthians, you know that the Corinthian church is a little messed up. They had lots of problems. They had lots of issues that Paul had to address Uh, repeatedly. In fact, he's going to talk about that here in a bit. 
And the problem was that either they didn't have the truth that they, that they needed or they had the truth that they needed and they were choosing not to live it out, not to enact it among each other in, within the church. And his hope is that they would be a church, that they would become a church who hold to the truths found in Christ, hold to them alone, and live it out. Be that way. Let, let it permeate who they were as, as a church so that he could look at, at Corinth and he could go, I'm proud of you guys, as he did other churches that he looked at and he said, you're holding to the truth. I'm proud of you. Put on your hand out if you want to fill it in. Is Paul's ministry was about passing on the wisdom that God had given him, not his own. Paul was about passing on the wisdom that God had given him, not his own. See, these guys that were speaking badly against Paul were making Paul the issue, and Paul was trying to make the truth the issue, right? Trying to make Christ and his truth the issue. Paul's ministry was about passing on the wisdom that God had given him, not his own. And, and I've put the questions on the, the handout there uh, that you can be looking at. These are the things that are going to be on the table talk card in the back when you go to the cafe. I highly encourage you to have uh, at least some of your conversation to be surrounded uh, with what we're talking about today. Um, so look at those questions as we go. All right, let's keep going. Verse 15. It says, in this confidence, same word we just talked about before, the thing you hang your hat on, in this confidence, I intended at first to come to you so that you might twice receive a blessing, that is to pass your way into Macedonia and again from Macedonia to come to you and by you to be helped on my journey to Judea. So Paul's just trying to lay out what his plan was. And the Corinthians obviously uh, were somewhat clued into this plan. He probably had sent them a letter or sent someone to tell them he was going to do this. His original plan was to, was to leave Troas, which is where he was. He was going to go to Corinth. Then he was going to go up to Macedonia. Then he was going to come back from Macedonia to Corinth. And then he was going to head to Judea. Okay? This was his plan. Um, this plan did not occur. What really occurred is, uh, by the way, you get the twice blessing thing, because he was going to see them once, go to Macedonia, come back, see them again, right? Um, and by the way, it seems like some of these guys who were kind of enemies of Paul were saying, hey, look, he promised something that he didn't deliver on, right? He's someone who doesn't keep his word. Uh, we think that that's what's going on. We're, we're guessing a little bit on that. But, but we think there were some people grumbling about this, right? What actually happened is uh, Paul went from Troas to uh, Philippi and through Macedonia, Thessalonica, Berea. He went through those areas. He went down to Athens. And then he, he ended up in Corinth, okay? It, it was after this letter uh, was written. And, and then he ended up going to Ephesus and over to the Judea. Okay. Obviously, his plan didn't work out the way it was supposed to work out. These people were challenging him about that, saying he's not someone who speaks the truth, right? He's not someone who has integrity. He says, therefore, I was not vacillating when I intended to do this, was I? Or what I decided, decide, do I decide according to the flesh? 
so that with me there will be yes, yes, and no, no at the same time. But as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no. See, he's saying, people are, are, are suggesting, or maybe you guys think, you Corinthians, that I was vacillating. Um, I was intending to see you twice, right? I was intending to visit you first. But then he says, do I decide according to the flesh? You get what he's saying? He's like, I don't determine my schedule. I, it's, it's, it's not my job to set out my schedule. My schedule is determined solely by my Lord. And while I, like, I want to do something, like I wanted to come to you, Corinthians, you know, first and then go, you know, to Macedonia and then come back through, like I wanted to do that, I, uh, I don't make my own schedule, right? Uh, I think of it like, like Melissa, she, she makes my schedule. I just ask her what I'm doing today and she says, this is what you're doing today, right? Uh, and that's what, how it worked with Paul, that he, that God was the one that was directing his, his steps, right? And, and he said, Look at, he said in 18, but God is faithful, and our word to you is not yes, no. We are, we are not vacillating. We are not uh, people without integrity. God is the faithful one, and God is the one who determines where I'm going to go. Just because I want to do something doesn't mean that that's what's going to happen, right? It's not about my own self-interest. In fact, probably if he was only looking at his own self-interest, he would have gone through Corinth and, you know, twice, Right? Uh, some were probably suggesting, well, the map's not up there before, but, but like maybe, okay, yeah, he wanted to go to Philippi because they have great beaches there, right? He wanted to go have a little vacation or something, right? They're, they're like, go ahead, come on. Like, like this guy doesn't keep his word. How can you believe anything that comes out of his mouth? He's gone, guys, I, I wasn't promising you I could do anything. God's got my schedule. But... He uses this as a teachable moment for them, knowing that this is the grumbling that was going on. Look at verse 19. He says, For the Son of God, Christ Jesus, who was preached among you by us to me and Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but has been yes in him. The Son of God, Jesus, is not a vacillator, right? Jesus is not wishy-washy. Jesus is not one way one moment and different the next moment. Jesus is not one who says one thing and then does another. That is not who our, our Lord is. Look at verse 20. He says, For as many as, are the, as many as the promises of God are, in him they are yes. Now, I know this is weird phrasing. Like, we don't usually speak this way, right? But this is basically what he's saying. He says, if God has promised to do something, then the, the answer is, to the question, will he do that thing, is yes right? So uh, let me just give you some examples here. So like God has promised to show up in our affliction. Will he show up in our affliction? Yes. God has promised to uh, promise rest for the souls of those who seek him. Will he give rest to the souls of those who seek him? Yes. God has promised uh, that he will return for us. Will he return for us? Yes, even though he hasn't yet. And you might go, well, maybe he's not returning. No, he's returning. He doesn't vacillate. He does what he says he's going to do, right? Uh, God has promised that he would work everything out for our good, even the rough stuff of life. Will he work everything out for our good? Yes, because he's a promise keeper. That's what he does. Uh, 
God has promised to, uh, that if we hand all of our cares over to him, that he will give us this unbelievable peace. Will he give us that unbelievable peace? Yes, he will. He does that. That's who he is. He, he does what he says he's going to do. Uh, God has promised that what he started in us, he's going to finish in us. Will God finish the work he started in us? Yes, he will, because God's a, a promise keeper. We, can, we, we never have to wonder whether God's going to say something and do something different. That is not who our God is. He goes on, therefore through him, middle of verse 20 there, therefore through him also is our amen to the glory of God through us. We're actually going to sing a song today uh, after the message uh, that that uses the word amen a lot in it. Amen just is, uh, they call it the assertive assertive particle. It it means it's, it's as good as done. It's going to happen. God makes a promise. It's, a, it's an amen. And so through him, also Paul's saying he's our amen. It's, it, it's, it's as good as done. Our path, our, our future, everything that we're going to do, everything that we're going to do regarding you, Corinthian people, is all in him. And so it is finished. It's as good as done. If he's made a promise through us, it's as good as done. Verse 21, he says, Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God, who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. He's basically saying we may not be able to do all the things that we would like to do, like come and see you twice in a row. We're not going to do that. Sorry. But we will always do what God is calling us to do. God God established us in our ministry with you. God anointed us for this ministry to you that we we would have to you and to the world. And God gave me apostolic authority. He sealed me with apostolic authority, which a seal in in this time uh, was was commonly used for for those in authority, like a king, to to communicate... uh, a command, okay, a royal command. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have, you know, TV where they could, you could flip on and watch, you know, the State of the Union address or something, right? So, so a king would, would, would give an edict, put it in, in, in a scroll, put his seal on it to seal the contents of that and say, this is from me. And Paul is saying, God has given us, me, apostolic authority and he has sealed me. It's his seal that's on it. These guys who are questioning me, they do not have apostolic authority. God has not given it to them. He, he, their, their authority is, is from themselves. And not only that, but God also gave us all his spirit. It's a pledge of his promises. So, is God going to do what he says he will do? Always yes is the answer. And Paul's saying, are we going to do what God is calling us to do? You can consider it done. Amen. It will happen. The point in your handout, if you want to fill it in, is when God makes a promise, he always makes good on that promise.
When God makes a promise, he always makes good on that promise. By the way, when you go back to the cafe uh, today, I've also put a little packet back there, which is a, a cool little packet. It just lists the promises of God in Scripture that are made to us as New Covenant believers. Uh, so that's worth checking out because these are all yes in him, right? He goes on. He says, but I call God as a witness to my soul that it was to spare you that I did not come again to Corinth. Not that we domineer over your faith, but we are workers with you for your joy. For in your faith you are standing firm. But I decided for my own sake that I would not come to you in sorrow again. For if I cause you sorrow, who, who then will be the one making me glad, but the one who is made sorrowful by me? This is the very thing I wrote to you, so that when I came, I would not have sorrow from those who ought to make me rejoice, having confidence in you all that my joy was the joy of you all. So again, we're sifting through some of these personal uh, notes, right? Because this is really, I mean, this situation that's being described here is really kind of this personal um, uh, relational issue between Paul and the Corinthian church that he's dealing with. And he's just explaining, he's, he's, he's explaining why he changed his plans, why, why God had him go north instead of going south. And it's because his last visit with them, which we're not sure of all the details of this, this visit, but we do know that this visit was difficult, that it was difficult for both Paul and for the Corinthian believers, that it did not go very well. We don't know why it didn't go very well. There's a lot of conjecture about it, a lot of, a lot of assumptions made from 1 Corinthians. We don't know. We don't know is the bottom line. But, but obviously, we know from 1 Corinthians that the Corinthian church needed a lot of correction. In fact, much of 1 Corinthians is just correction, 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 correction. They were thinking wrong about things. They were uh, operating incorrectly as a church. They weren't handling things that they were supposed to be handling. And so it was, it was a lot of correction. And so this visit probably had to do with correcting some things that the Corinthian church was doing. Or possibly like he had told them to correct certain things and then he went and visited them and they hadn't corrected those things. We don't know what was going on, but it was not pleasant it was difficult. And he said, after that visit, it's probably a good thing I didn't come back. It's probably a good thing that I didn't give you, you know, a, a double blessing. Because I don't think it would have been a double blessing. I think it would have been difficult again. And so Paul says, I, I, I just don't think, I think it was good that, I, that God didn't have me come back so soon because I think it would have been difficult. And you might have perceived that as domineering over your faith, right? You can imagine if there was this situation in which Paul was correcting things for them, that if he came back quick, you know, soon after that, that it'd feel like, oh, he's coming to check on us, you know, make sure we're doing the right thing, right? And Paul's like, I'm not trying to domineer over your faith. That is not my role to domineer over your faith, to domineer over your church. We are in partnership. I, I'm, I'm partnering with you for your growth. And so I think it's probably better that God had me go north. 
He goes on in verse 4. He says, For out of much affliction and anguish of my heart I wrote to you with many tears, not so that you would be made sorrowful, but that you might know the love which I have especially for you. But if anyone has caused sorrow, he has caused sorrow not for me, but in some degree, not to say too much, for all of you. Sufficient for such a person person is the punishment which was imposed by the majority, so that on the other hand, you should rather forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, such a person might be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. This is a difficult section. There are a lot of difficult things in 2 Corinthians as far as interpreting. This is a difficult section because we don't know the situation. And so we're guessing as what's going on. Paul and the Corinthian church, they knew. Like, like he's speaking in a way that they would understand. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where like you walk into a conversation where, where two people are having, are talking about something and you can't really track with what they're talking about they're, because they know what they're talking about, right? But you're coming in later and you're like, I don't even know what they're talking about, right? Like this is kind of our experience with this passage in Second Corinthians. Is we're going, I just don't know what's being talked about here. So, some would um, suggest that it might be uh, this situation from 1 Corinthians 5. Um, where uh, it says this, uh, is that it's actually reported that there is sexual, sexual immorality among you and sexual immorality of such a kind as does not even exist among the Gentiles, namely that someone has his father's wife, that someone is sleeping with his father's wife, whether that's his stepmother or his biological mother, we don't know, uh, but, but this was happening, okay? You have become arrogant and have not mourned instead so that, that the one who would have done this deed you would be removed from your midst. Going down to verse 6, he says, your boasting is not good. They were boasting about this. We don't know exactly what they were boasting. We don't know exactly why they, were, they thought this was something they could hang their hat on and be confident about. But it might have been like, hey, we're so gracious because we allow this person who's sleeping with his mom to be in our church, right? Like, man, we're so great. I mean, we don't know, but that might have been it, right? He said, don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? That, that this is going to infect the church, as a whole, you think you're doing a good thing, but actually you're, you're hurting the body by doing this. Verse 11 uh, says, but actually I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother, sorry here, uh, but I actually wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is sexu- a sexually immoral person or a greedy person or an idolater or is verbally abusive or is habitually drunk or a swindler, not even to eat with such a person, which was a big deal. It was like, it was true rejection there, right? For what business of mine is it that to judge outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church, but those who are outside God judges? Remove the evil person from among yourselves. It might have been this guy who, who they... Uh, who Paul was calling on them to actually break fellowship with this person, ask this person not to be around the church because this was someone who was a believer and he was, he, he was in persistent, unrepentant sin and he was unwilling to repent. And so he's like, this needs to be addressed. You need to deal with this. And we don't know if it was this situation, but it, it had to be a similar situation, at least. That there was, there was someone who they had addressed persistent, unrepentant sin in the life of this person. Might have been this guy, might have been someone else. 
And in doing so, they, they cut ties, they cut fellowship with that person. But it seems like, and we can only assume this from, from the passage, that there, would, there was repentance from this person. They were now coming back and going, okay, I was wrong. I've repented, I've dealt with it. And so Paul's now saying, it's time to forgive. It's time to let it go. It's time to, to, to cancel the debt. It's time to move on. Because it wasn't about rejecting this person forever. It was to bring repentance from this person. It was to bring them to the point where they would come back and go, yeah, 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 this, this persistent sin that I just allowed in my life, I've dealt with it. I'm repenting of it. I'm going a new direction. And our job, their job, was to let it go. And, and to comfort him, which literally means to come alongside and encourage him. It's the same word that was used last week for God's comfort of us, that he shows up. We need to show up for someone who's re- repentant. And they needed to do that. And he says, you need to reaffirm your love for him. Make sure that he knows that you love him. And in fact, part of the reason why the church responded the way the church did was out of love for him and love for the body. It'd be so easy to write a person off and go, man, they're they're just, that dude's sleeping with his mom. Like, what's the deal? Like, get this guy out of here. We're done with that guy, right? We don't know if it's that guy, but be easy to write off someone. I remember um, when I was younger, I was in my early 20s, uh, the, the couple who led our college group, um, we loved them, loved both of them a lot. Uh, a couple years after I was in college, uh, he uh, cheated on his wife, and he was unrepentant about it. He would consistently deny it, although there was ample evidence that he was 100% engaging in this situation. And I was on our leadership board at that time and had walked through this situation. It got to the point, we, we, we did church discipline with him uh, very slowly, probably slower than I think we probably should have, but, but we did. And it eventually got to the point because he was completely unrepentant and he just continued the behavior. He was going down there all the time. To, it was, she, she lived in another area, he was going down there all the time. To, to hook up with her. It got to that point, we had brought it before the congregation, which we're, we're, we're called to do, um, and he was still unrepentant, and so we called on the church to treat him as an unbeliever, which is what Matthew 18 calls us to do. It was hard. You can imagine that's hard. It's a difficult thing to do, uh, but the right thing to do, an important thing to do, something we need to be doing as a body with persistent, unrepentant sin, right? A year later, this man who I love returned to the church, fully repentant. He knew he'd blown it big time, which was amazing, right? That's the whole point. That's what we're supposed to be doing it for, right? Our job in that moment, and hopefully we did a good job, was to let that go, to not hold it against him. I didn't hold it against him. 
to encourage him, to walk alongside him, to love him, to, to, to re-express our love for him and go, yeah, you know what? We all have blown it big. And we love you. And that's what he's calling them to do. To do that, do that for this person, right? Look at verse... Nine. Sorry, I'm all over the place with this slides. He says, for, the, for to this end I also wrote, so that I might put you to the test whether you are obedient in all things. If you would have done what you were supposed to do by, by doing some church discipline with this guy. But it seems like they did church discipline. Whether it's this guy or another guy, they were doing what they were supposed to do. And he's like, I wrote to you so that hopefully you would be obedient in the things that you're supposed to be obedient in. And, and you were, right? This is a good thing, right? And by the way, I, I think if we had to go through that as a church today, that would not be easy. Can we agree? I mean, that would be extremely difficult. But then the question for us would be, are we going to be obedient to what we're called to, right? They were being obedient. He says, but, but verse 10, he says, but one whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, I did so for your sakes in the presence of Christ. He's like, forgive this guy, I forgive him too, we're good, let it go with him, right? This is what we should be doing. Look at verse 11, he's going to explain why. I mean, it's the right thing to do for one, but he's going to explain why. He says, so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. See, there's this crazy reality when, you, when, when we talk about church discipline is that if, if we choose not to address persistent, unrepentant sin in our body, then our enemy will use that to cause the yeast to rise in the church, right? The, 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 a little leaven leavens the whole lump. It's going to affect us. The, the yeast will rise. The sin will infect us. That persistent, unrepentant sin will infect us as a whole, and the enemy will win. And so that's why we have to be diligent, especially pray for our leadership. We've got to be diligent on this to make sure that we're not allowing persistent, unrepentant sin to go on in the church and not, unaddressed, Right? Because our enemy will win. But then the flip side is, when it is addressed and there is repentance, if we choose not to forgive that person, if we choose not to come alongside and reaffirm our love for that person, it opens the door for our enemy to scheme and take advantage of us in that way, right? So we've got to both be willing to address the issue, and we've also got to be willing to let go once there's repentance and make sure love covers all of it. Put it in your handout if you want to fill it in. Is addressing persistent, unrepentant sin in our church family is critical, and it is critical. Addressing persistent, unrepentant sin in our church family is critical. Equally critical is forgiving, encouraging, and reaffirming our love for the repentant. 
equally critical is forgiving, encouraging, and reaffirming our love for the repentant. All right, hopefully you got that in there. Let's just read the bottom of the handout. Paul's ministry was steeped in God's wisdom. It was central to who he was, why he spoke, and what he wrote about, how he lived, and where he placed his confidence. While his plans often necessitated change, God's promises have never. His promises are as good as done from the moment he speaks them, regardless of what we see or how we feel in the moment. Addressing persistent, unrepentant sin within the body of Christ is always painful, as it should be. There's nothing pleasant about calling out or eventually cutting ties with someone we love and who is part of our family. This discomfort should never keep us from our responsibility to them and to protect the body. Yet we must always be willing and ready to receive back with open arms and forgiveness the one who repents. After all, repentance is exactly what discipline is hoping to achieve. And pray for us. Lord, uh, this is, was clearly a difficult situation uh, within the Corinthian church. Um, there had to be a lot of heartache and difficulty that went, they went through, even though we don't know the details of all of that. Uh, it would be great to know that, but we don't know those things. Um, but we do know Paul's encouragement to them, and in turn, uh, an encouragement to us to both deal with sin, persistent, unrepentant sin in, in our church, but also to be ready and willing and eager to accept back one that, um, that we've had to cut ties with, Lord to be able to love them and, and serve them and walk alongside them as they, uh, as they re-enter our family. Um, thank you for this, this, this plan, the, the clarity of these truths, even though they're hard and, and difficult to look at. Um, we know that, uh, that, that your goodness is, is in every bit of them and that your love uh, is in every part of that. Um, and your protection of the body uh, and, and, and your protection against the schemes of the devil against uh, our body. Lord, we um, want to be vigilant on those things. I just pray that you give our, our leadership a lot of wisdom when it comes to that kind of stuff um, and that you give our body uh, self-sacrificial love uh, for, for, for every person in our midst. I pray this all in your name.